We're going to be turning now to God's Word, and uh, we're in 3 John, and uh, for some of you, you may think that's 1 John 3, but there's actually 3 John. There is a book in the Bible called 3 John, and we're going to be reflecting on it for a few minutes. And to give you a little context for this, um, we've looked through 1 John, we've looked through 2 John, and now we're kind of be, uh, we're on the last of these three epistles, and we're going to spend a few minutes reflecting on what John has to say to us. And a little bit of context might help us. Uh, the Apostle uh, John is kind of at the end of his ministry career, and he is um, uh, working with a church in modern-day Turkey uh, around the time of the first century. And that church was struggling with some folks who were coming in, teaching things that were confusing people. And uh, John is writing this letter to kind of clarify what's true and what's not true, and then tell them how do they need to respond to these false teachers. And so 1 John is a letter written to this church, uh, really kind of dealing head on with the false teaching that this, this church has been struggling with. 2 John was a letter trying to uh, help them think through how should they actually deal or be in relationship with these teachers themselves. And 3 John is really a letter uh, meant to reflect on how they should be responding to true teachers as a church. And we're gonna be looking at this third letter today and if you're new to uh, church here, uh, one of the things we do, a habit we, we have, is that we kind of uh, take a book of the Bible and we take it in little chunks. And we go chunk by chunk and we try and just capture some of the big ideas uh, in each letter or each, uh, each epistle. And we like this because we think it helps us cover a lot of topics. And uh, we also like it because it helps us be honest and uh, say things that are maybe difficult to say. And so what we're going to be looking at today is the entire book of 3 John. Uh, it's actually the shortest book in the New Testament. And we're going to be really drawing out uh, a particular topic that John hits at today, and that is the topic of generosity. And it may not be immediately obvious that generosity is a major theme in this letter, uh, but I think you're going to find that it is. It does figure into this letter in a big way. And I think you'll find that John's perspective is uh, very rich and encouraging. And so I think he has something to, uh, to say to us that's, that we're going to find edifying. I'm going to read our letter, and then we're going to jump in with a few minutes uh, worth of reflection. This is 3 John, starting in verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your tr uh, truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts to these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have not gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against others. And not, count, not, be, not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone 
and from the truth itself. We also add to our testimony, and we know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, through it we discover our desire to hear from you, to be taught by you. Would you bring us closer to the heart and mind of Christ? Would your spirit be our teacher this morning now? In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're going to be exploring in this passage the topic of generosity. And uh, this particular book has actually played an important part of my own life as I've tried to understand this topic. Uh, a number of years ago, I read this book, this uh, chapter, and was inspired uh, for generosity, grew my imagination for generosity, and so I hope that for the next few minutes as we reflect on it, you have a similar experience. And we're gonna be highlighting four big ideas that John offers us in regards to this topic. And the first is this, that generosity is part of the Christian life. That is, to be a Christian in some way means to be caught up with the experience of generosity. It's something that we think about, something that our desires are directed towards, something that informs our lives and our habits. Let me show to you how John puts this in verse five. He says, beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. What was happening was that Christian missionaries were coming to this church. Uh, they didn't have a relationship with them. They didn't really know who they were. And they're welcomed into this church given a lot of support and hospitality. And John is calling this experience of hospitality and generosity a faithful thing. The way they treated these missionaries was commendable. It was part of how Christians ought to act. And John is here is using an interesting word. Uh, John's favorite word is obedience. If you remember over the last epistles or even his gospel, he's always using the word obedience. Here he uses a word he doesn't use very much. He's ascribing the church's generosity towards the missionaries as something that's faithful. And so what is the difference between obedience and faithfulness? Well, obedience is really something like law keeping. It's that you have a bit particular behavior or an action that accords with God's law. It aligns up with God's law. Faithfulness is a little bit different. Faithfulness is about the direction you're heading in. Faithfulness is about what you're aiming at. With obedience, it's about how you're acting in a particular uh, scenario, maybe how you're gonna act this Sunday afternoon. Faithfulness is the sum of all your actions and what they're aimed at. And what John is telling us is that generosity is about something that just marks your whole life. It marks the direction of your life. It doesn't mean that it's not part of obedience, but it is this deep-seated thing that takes over our whole life and directs where it's heading. John also has something to say about the opposite experience of people who are not living in this, who would not be marked by this. It's what he says in verses 9 and 10. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up uh, what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. 
Uh, John here is issuing a stern warning against somebody named Diotrephus. And this person was likely a leader in the church. Uh, they had some influence. And what they're doing is undermining the work of other leaders, including the Apostle John. And they're also undermining the work of the church. The church was trying to welcome these people in, uh, trying to figure out ways to support them. And this guy was actually undermining the whole effort, so much so that he was kicking people out of the church. And John is looking in that, at that, and he has some pretty strong language. He calls it a wicked thing, an evil thing. Uh, and that, of course, involves a whole a very broad uh, critique of what's happening, undermining authority, uh, but also it involves things like um, his uh, uh, really hampering the efforts of this church to be generous to these missionaries. So John has uh, commendable words to say about generosity being something that marks a Christian's life. Also for people who are directly opposed to it, undermining it, he has some pretty strong language to say. But John not only tells us that this is something that we should be doing as individuals, he's also concerned about who we're doing it with. And this leads to the second point, that generosity is not only a feature of the Christian life, but this, that generosity happens in the context of the local church. Generosity takes place in all sorts of situations. Uh, it happens in the home, happens around, all around our cities and communities, but it's also supposed to happen in the context of the local church. Let me read to you what John says in verse one. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Uh, John is addressing this letter to a church leader named Gaius. Uh, he was an elder, and that was uh, really not a position that was kind of a disconnected or part of larger organizations. It was uh, really a position that's just like it is in our modern church, uh, where he was a leader of a congregation. And John is uh, directly talking to uh, Gaius and his church and their efforts to be generous. And in fact, this entire bundle of letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, were very likely written as a collection to a number of house churches in ancient Ephesus. John goes on in verses four and five uh, to say this, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. What is happening is despite the fact that they did not have a personal relationship with these missionaries, these missionaries were still able to plug in and be connected to the church, finding support, hospitality, and generosity might wonder why is it that this was their experience? Why is it that somebody who you don't even know could be the recipient of so much care, interest, and support? And the reason that John gives for this is because the church is a spiritual family. John sees the experience of generosity through the lens of a spiritual family. Even though these missionaries were strangers, they're titled brothers. And John is seeing that his connection to them is because through Christ, they have brothers and sisters, even if they don't have a personal relationship with them. And generosity then becomes part of the family economy. Every family has an economy, certain ways that goods, services, and money are distributed among its members. And generosity is a practice and principle for how the economy of God's spiritual family should work. There are certain standards, certain principles for how certain resources are allocated within God's spiritual family. And here what we see is generosity expressing itself through the experience of hospitality. These were people who were outside in some way, 
And because of their adoptive status in Christ, were brought into God's family. They were led in and given the resources of that spiritual family. And what we see here in particular is the power of generosity. Generosity has the power to build a community. Let me read to you what John says in verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. John is telling his readers that they supported the missionaries, and through this work, they became fellow workers with them. John uses a special word to describe this fellow workers or partnership. It's a word common in the New Testament, koinonia, and it's describing a deep relationship or sense of community that you can have. This word koinonia uh, is oftentimes used to describe the relationship of the Trinity with itself. Uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have koinonia with each other. They have a partnership, a deep community with each other. Uh, the relationship of Christ to the church is also described through the lens of koinonia, a deep community and relationship. And what John is saying is something that should be striking and profound to us, is that through the experience of generosity, we experience koinonia with the people that we're giving to. One of the ways we build partnerships, one of the ways we deepen our community is by actually financially supporting other people. <clears throat> one of the most powerful and practical tools we have to deepen our community is generosity. The next question that this leads to is uh, what is or who is our generosity directed towards? And the answer that John gives us is the third point which is that generosity is directed towards people. We've already seen that they're supporting specific missionaries, and these missionaries are going out and doing just what missionaries do. They go and serve and help other people. And this is where generosity becomes something that's really cool in my mind. <laughs> I have a, 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 a growing interest and fondness for generosity in part because of this fact, and that is that generosity is a spiritual equivalent of a force multiplier. It's a way that we are able to actually maximize and multiply our impact on the world. We give in one unit of something, out of it we get two units of some result or fruitfulness. What if it was one unit of something, we got five units, right? What a cool effect that we can have on the world by simply giving generously. By supporting one person, we're really impacting all sorts of other people. And I'd mentioned that this book has really influenced my perspective on generosity, and it's the example of John and his church that I found really compelling. The principle that generosity is directed towards other people and the people standing behind these people is illustrated all around Scripture. One of the most famous examples of generosity is the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is about some unnamed person who's going about their day, walking down the road, and they discovered a man who was beaten, robbed, and stuck in a ditch. And they decide to help this man, and they take him to a hotel, uh, they get a doctor, and at the end of all of that, uh, they end up paying for all of his bills. The Good Samaritan is a story about indiscriminate love that expresses itself through generosity. Also, one of the themes that comes up throughout Paul's letter is the fact that he is regularly raising money for famine relief uh, for believers in Jerusalem. Uh, Jewish Christians living in Jerusalem were affected by famine, and Paul raises money among Gentile churches to bring some sort of relief to them. And uh, Paul would go to a number of different churches around the Mediterranean, 
and uh, he would explain the situation. He would collect some funds from them and then go back to Jerusalem to deliver those funds. Uh, Paul also is somebody who is using generosity to help people. Paul is illustrating that generosity is directed towards people, though he's doing it in a way that's a little broader and a little more organized. What we see at the end of this passage is really our last point, which is the why behind generosity, what you could think of as the heart of generosity. Not only is generosity something that marks the life of a believer, not only does it happen in the context of the local church, it's directed towards people, but here we see the why of generosity. And that is that generosity is an experience of grace. Let me read to you how John puts it in verse 6. You will do well to send them on their journey in a matter worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. What John is doing is communicating to the church in Ephesus the why behind their generosity. And he's telling them that these missionaries have gone out to support and care for others. And what they're doing is in some way a job that should be compensated for it. The people who are the recipients of your services should be paying for what you're doing. Thing is, John says something very different is happening right here. That these missionaries have actually decided to not accept any money for their services. How strange. (laughs) This doesn't happen very often in our world. John is saying they're doing something unusual. They're doing something different. They should be compensated for their services, but they're not. And the reason for that is because these Gentiles that these missionaries are going out to support are actually not people who have no Jewish heritage. These are actually people who would not identify with Christian heritage, not people who would identify uh, with the Christian faith. And what John wants for them is this effort, this work, to be an experience of grace. John wants the missionaries' uh, efforts and work to be an experience of a gift. And the way they can do that is by not actually asking for compensation for what they're doing. It would have been very common in the first century for religious leaders to go to people, teach on things, do all sorts of things, do religious ceremonies, all of this, and then ask for compensation for that. That was normal. What these missionaries were doing was something actually quite different. They were not asking for compensation for their services. The reason for that was because they wanted that to be an experience of grace to other, be for other people. And what John is asking the church to do is to support them in that effort. He says, we want the missionaries to be a gift to the world, and out of this, you should also gift your resources to them as well. And their work is completely free because the church decided to support them. So they can be gracious, so they can be um, uh, loving and serving people well. Generosity not only impacts uh, what the missionaries are doing in the world, but it also multiplies the amount of grace that exists in the world as well. When we think about what John is describing here, it is not too far off to think that this is also how God relates to the world. Jesus has gone out into the world, just like these missionaries. He's been sent by the Father, just like the brothers who sent the church. And the hope of the Trinity is that Jesus' mission to the world would be seen as a gift. It would be seen as an experience of grace. Jesus is not coming to burden people, to crush people. He's actually coming to take away people's burdens. 
And just like the missionaries in the churches schemed and planned together to how to actually bring grace into the world, the Father and the Son also schemed together to figure out how can we bring grace and gift into the world. And what they decided to do was to bring the greatest gift they could think of, which was to offer themselves to the world. Jesus, through the Father, is actually the greatest, ultimate expression of what generosity and gift looks like. Jesus came into the world at no cost to us, but he did this by paying the ultimate cost himself. Jesus paid to have us for his own by giving up his very life. It's in experiencing this gift, this generosity of Jesus to the world in small, real, and regular ways that we discover the true spirit of generosity. Would the Lord grant us this experience now and always? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would draw us more deeply to yourself. We pray that your word and your spirit would work together to change us, to make us more like you. We pray that your grace would train us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.